My friends, and welcome to our latest episode of Armor Party. I am your host, Mike Forrester, hoping you are setting your sights on a trip to Batu or maybe the Star Cruiser coming up. I keep reminding myself that Book of Boba Fett is just kicking off an incredible year of Star Wars. So stay tuned for an episode on bounding, which is a way to dress casual in a Star Wars style for your trip to either the Black Spire Outpost or maybe some ideas for Disney After Dark, which we are going to on May 27th over Star Wars Celebration. My buds and Thank the Maker, as well as Princess and Scoundrel, plan on going all out for it. So we will see you in May in Anaheim. Now, my next maker is an encyclopedia of information, largely by trial and error. He's super talented and should be a go-to if you are upping your game and going for finishes that will wow people at the next convention. So put on those headphones, get out your pencils, and get ready to take some notes. Costume School is now in session. Enjoy the show. My next guest is one of my favorite costuming accounts to follow. From his helpful tips on chemical application, fiberglass or foam, and then to knocking out candy-coated finishes, he has painted it all. A fellow Midwesterner, he's chasing the dream of hobbyist-turned-money-making crafter and letting us come along for the ride. From Ohio's queen city of Cincinnati, we are joined by Daryl Kemper, better known by his internet alter ego of Offer3D. Daryl, welcome to the Armor Party, my man. Hey, I'm so excited to be here, Mike. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Well, hey, I was I was really hyped to be able to connect with you on the Orderman project. Yes. And and, and thank you again for being a part of that. We ended up getting over $5,000 from Magic Wheelchair and I have gotten so many compliments about the ornaments themselves, but also just in general the power of creating right like i mean yeah, yeah you know we started with a couple acrylic pieces and for us to do it really like a minimal investment to be able to make that much of an impact it's really cool to see people recognize and now that people are getting the ornaments of course right they're getting them and they're opening them they're like this thing is a freaking work of art and i'm like well yeah man i mean you know what what did you expect from this crew yeah when i when i took mine off the tree for my final shot of my YouTube video of it, I was like, oh man, this doesn't get to stay on the tree. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so good. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool thing. And I think next year we'll probably make it uh, make it even bigger and get more artists involved. And it's been great because everyone, you and the rest of the crew is all like, oh, that was awesome. I'm in for next year. And I'm like, all oh, right, yeah. let's just double it up, make more money, find a new charity. Let's just do the thing. So well, Daryl, I'm stoked to be able to sit down with you. Like I said in the in the intro, you know, I am I at the beginning of of getting into the the Star Wars costuming subculture a couple of years ago. You know, I I didn't I didn't really start following other accounts until I I started Hondo Supply, and I remember coming across your work and being like, "Damn, this is like these are goals right here." Like I was watching your stuff, being like, "This is awesome," but also to connect with someone who 
understands that there is something helpful about putting tutorials and putting work and putting information out there rather than kind of gatekeeping it to yourself and making that you're, you know, kind of standing on your own island about that. So I just want to say from the costuming part of myself and and what we're doing here with Armor Party, thank you for being a, a huge part of sharing. And and I, I learn from your account all the time, I swear. I think I hit you up pretty much every time. I'm like, that's oh, yeah. awesome. I didn't know we that. Speak. We speak. Yeah, it's just like uh, uh, when you had Colin on, Odd Viking. It's like the same thing. I mean, I he does it more like methodic i love i love seeing how he plots everything out who have like the nice four tiles and it's like i did this that turned into this and into this and into this and uh i always like want to that's kind of like what i want my mark to be if i could like break it down it's like this dude helped me in x y and z no matter what it was because yeah there is there's a lot of gatekeeping there's a lot of uh i don't know just half half information is out there it's there's not a lot of information on certain things and i'm more like i'm just gonna blow the lid off this thing i figured it out or you know somebody gave me a piece of something and then i pieced the rest of it together but i mean because what's the use of holding on to this information we're all a community we're all trying to build dope stuff together and either you know showcase it on twitter instagram facebook or at conventions themselves or even the forums you know um I don't know. I just always find it more fulfilling to be able to give back to the community in that way. Even if it's something small, like, Oh, I bought this little tool and this helps me sand my prints easier. Give it a try. It costs six bucks, you know? Right. right. So what's interesting about that is, you know, when, in our discussion with Frank Hippolito, you know, he, he has this mentality where he's like, we, we, we know that us as, is natural competitors. That's kind of like our, you know, survival mentality that I don't think we've really shaken off, gotten rid of in our, in our understanding that it's a competitive market once you get into the professional side of it. But his mentality is like, if we don't steward the next generation of talent, then we're going to start running out of people. Mm-hmm. And to his point, it's almost like there's more work out there than there are people who are able to fill these roles, which you would never think would be a problem. But obviously, as the the props industry has changed so much and there is more content than ever, right? Like everyone's got a streaming service. Everyone's trying to go for new IP. Everyone's uh, trying yeah. to like, you know, work with comic books and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's just like crazy time to be a nerd, but also oh, yeah. to be a, a crafter, you know? So, I mean, it, it's cool that you're, you know, you're taking that mentality and and saying, I'm going to share it even with people who are like fellow mid-professional hobbyist level. And I just think it's awesome. I think, I think it's great. And like I said, just, you also have to look at those leaders in the community that are going out there, trying stuff, buying the paint that everyone's curious about putting stuff out there. So, I mean, what I want to know, Daryl is, is how did, how did this all get started for you, man? I got, I got to know, I want to know the story from the beginning. So if, if it's to the beginning of how I got where I am now, uh, I was working for this company professionally before I started making full time. I was, uh, I built networks, computer networks. So you go into a hospital and you look down on the floor, you see like a cat six plug in Cincinnati, Ohio. You go to any Mercy Hospital, I've worked in there. Go to UC Hospital, I've worked, I've done everything. Their cameras, the whole nine. That's what I used to do. 
So we had this contract for a company that made um, prototype endoscopic surgical equipment. So the non-invasive, like we're going to go in here and stitch up this vein with these little pincers through this very tiny cut. And this was in probably like 2012, 2013. They had, I don't even know how big this thing was. It was probably like three feet across by like two and a half feet deep. It's just a machine. And I was on the floor and I was like, what is this? And I walk over here and I see this thing zipping around and there's like an object underneath it. I was like, what in the hell? So I go grab one of the guys that was working there just in the cubicle. I'm like, hey man, I hate to bother you. What is, what's this machine over here? What is it doing? He's like, oh, that's a 3D printer. It's like, what? Like sci-fi movie 3D printer? Like this, this exists? Like I can have this? Like it's like, I mean, like if you got like 180 grand, like, yeah. And I'm like, what? So he shows me this thing. And from that moment on, I've always been like, I need a 3D printer. So fast forward to like 2017-ish, the rep rap movement starts and like the little Prusa and Mendels and all the Chinese knockoffs of that are out and about in the world. And I ended up picking one up. Um, and I had this idea of making all this just crazy stuff, but it was not that. It was more troubleshooting than anything. Um, figuring out the machine, this, that, and the third. And what, 20, probably 2018, I found Thingiverse, printed an Iron Man helmet, which, you know, which some, you know, which some people do. Um, and then it was kind of all downhill from there. It was like, okay, I, I printed this. Now, how do I make it look real? And I've gone through wood filler days, you know, Bondo days different epoxies this that and the third and smoothing every type of rattle can paint that you can possibly buy in the united states of america from rust-oleum to krylon to duplicolor to crappy no-name stuff from you know a hobby store um so it just kind of turned into this thing that i was just always like obsessed with the process of 3d printing and then it led into learning how to post-process 3D prints. And then that led into, oh, wait, I can make full sets of armor. Okay, wait, I, I can make molds of this? There's silicones out there? I can, there's other materials? And I mean, it just, it's like a snowball. It's like you got his hooks in me and just drug me down this mountain that I'm still tumbling down. As far as like the, you know, I, it's funny that you say I, I print an Iron Man helmet. There is obviously a synonymous relationship with, nerd culture and 3d prints like i rarely oh, yeah. ever see anyone be like well i was a you know i was a ceramics modeler and i thought a 3d it's like everyone buys one because they're like man i want to make a freaking helmet or something you know and and yeah. what was nerd culture like for you are you from are you from ohio originally yep. born and okay, raised so like fellow midwestern dude you know we're not you know, i would say of course the midwestern area is not the cultural hub maybe besides chicago when it wants to be but yeah. like what was nerd culture for you growing up so i'm 34 nerd culture for me was not it was like frowned upon so like me and my friends even in like i remember in middle school one of my one of my best friends we had uh struck a deal with the librarian at our school she would let us eat lunch there and we would play like pokemon cards and magic and Yu-Gi-Oh and all that stuff um but it was like this just small niche group 
<clears throat> and then every once in a while, you know, somebody might wander in and go, what you guys doing? Oh, you guys are battling with Pokemon? I have Pokemon cards, too. It's like, yeah, we're here every day at lunchtime. You know, um, so was that. And then anime, of course. And what was your last guest name? Justin that you, Santos. Justin. Justin. Yeah, Justin. I remember there was something that he even said about, like, you guys are talking about, you know, this whole resurgence now, nerd culture, and how we were kind of like, what? You're doing what? Like, you're dressing up as a stormtrooper? That's weird. Um, that's kind of how it was, like, you know, just growing up. I, we, I had a comic book store within walking distance of my house, so I had access to all the things that I could possibly want that were nerdy. Um, my parents were all for it. My mom was always like, hey, mom, I want to go to Toys R Us. And she'd take me. Even if I wasn't buying something, you know, we were walking through and checking it out. So I, I was, you know, it was a small bubble, but it was it was fruitful. I think it was very fruitful. Yeah. Well, even with, uh, cause isn't Kenner there in, uh, or, or they used was, to be. um, yeah, they were even Cincinnati. when Vicker was on and he was talking about when he interned in Cincinnati working mm-hmm. on all the star Wars line, you know? So, I mean, yep. there, there is, there is something to be said for toy culture and kind of having respect for like where the HQ was. Cause I think at the time, you know, you've got all of the Hollywoods happening on the coast and then you've got like look where they chose to like make the damn things right in yeah. like the most the heart of America, which is the Midwest of like just hardworking people, you know. But not only that, too. If you look on IMDb and a lot of movies that look like they're shot in New York, they're shot in Cincinnati because downtown Cincinnati still has like this old town like city vibe. So a lot of film is done there. We, we that, I see it pop up on like Cincinnati.com all the time. They're like, oh, Bruce Willis is going to be in town. They're shooting this movie called uh, The Last Macarena. And it's just like, oh, Bruce Willis learned how to do the Macarena. He's going to do it in Cincinnati. Excellent. <laughs> um, but I, it, I don't know. So when it's like that kind of stuff, it, it's like, I, I look at us like, hey, we're kind of a hub. We're not really like the hub, but we have things that happen here. So that's always been kind of cool. And and so you're so you and I are the same age and I think I remember more so is like getting the 3 VHS tapes with the half silhouettes of of the Vader, Yoda and yeah and, like the yep. you know when they, they it, this was kind of like Lucas's big push to get a new crop of you know the fans that saw it in the movies in 77 now have kids and they want, you know, like, let's start, you know, it was power of the force and all those toys and stuff like that. Were you like, were you completely crushed by that wave of, of star Wars? Like I was, I loved the, 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 the power of the force toys. I had like, like all of the characters for that because I missed, you know, we're right at that cusp where we missed like the classic, like Kenner toys. I did have some from stuff that like, um, one of my dad's brothers is one of his younger brothers had, or, some of my other uncles on my mom's side that got handed down. Like I had, I wish I still had it. I had like the OG Millennium Falcon that was kind of like the plastic was a little yellowed from just like, like an old Nintendo. Yeah, right. Um, and a couple of the characters that went with that. Uh, I had, you know, the lightsabers with like the whip out, you know, extension plastics. Um, or I just have like, you know, a flashlight that I'd run around the house with, with the, Paper towel Call it the top of it with a sharpie, right? Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, it did. Or you know, I'd wear like all black and I'd run around the house and think that I was Luke Skywalker. I'd be asking my mom, like, "Where's the glove? I need a glove. <laughs> I need your you leather know. glove." 
Yeah, yeah. So she used to get mad too because she'd be like, oh, my, my driving glove when it's cold out. Where are my gloves at? I don't know. I'm Luke Skywalker. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can only give Save you the left galaxy. glove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Save me a galaxy, Bob. Leave me alone. So I, it, I got hit with it. Yeah, definitely. You know, and thank God for Blockbuster because that was probably one of my most rented uh, films was the trilogy. Definitely. Yeah. We're just starting this off on a nostalgia. I love that, man. I love that. Mm-hmm. Going going there on Friday night and being like, I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna be in here for an hour. I look at all the covers, you know, and I think I think what was really great about that is that's what establishes the baseline of kind of a fan for life. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you you hook them young and Star Wars, I, as I, I've told people, this is like the best time to be a Star Wars fan because it they're they're you're learning more than we've ever known about the original trilogy we're seeing people from the original trilogy now brought back and it's just yeah. like i don't know i just i love it right now but getting back to costuming what was your you know so so you're starting to make all these prints and you're starting to kind of like get the hang of it star wars for you when did you know in star wars and costuming of course like i don't know many franchises that are as dedicated to costuming as Star Wars fans. So like, where did Star Wars start making a play for you when you start printing and, and making wearable costumes and pieces? So for me, I'd say when I first got into like cosplay, I, I looked into Star Wars stuff and I saw, you know, prices of like the kits and, you know, I was probably, I don't know, 24, five-ish maybe younger, 22, 23, or somewhere around there. And I was just like, oh, I can't justify that kind of money. for That's money. That's big money. For, yeah, yeah, for this stuff. So it was just like, you know, I always thought like, hey, it'd be cool if I even just had like a helmet on display at the house or something I could just wear around when my friends come over. It's like, look at this thing. Um, but as far as like in the now, I would say probably the Mandalorian drove me into the costuming. And I think it's because of the design choices of the costumes of that show. Because I really, really, really love like dystopian future. I don't really like clean, um, like sci-fi. I like dirty, grungy, grimy. Like I, that's, I, I really love like the stuff that Ben does, dirty, or dirty road Ben, um, because it's just so grimy. It looks so. You, I, I know this dude made this right like it started clean but then you look at it and you're like yeah that looks like it's been through hell and i i love that aesthetic you know just even like to me i think the pre-best bar is just some gorgeous armor it's some of the best looking armor in costuming i think just because of how gritty it is when boba fett shows up in his beat up post-sarlacc acid burn to hell and back you know armor i loved it i was like this looks incredible then when he repainted it i was like why'd you do that like don't do that leave it you know like come on man maybe change your underwear but like keep the armor beat up i just i love it so it's probably that the mandalorian really really did it for me um and i've done a few mando buckets i got a whole torso bust of a pre-beskar built um I've done a few Boba helmets. I've done a full set of Boba Fresh from season two, a uh, full armor set of Bo-Katan, 
for clients. Um, I have back sets of Boba Fett stuff. Um, I have some Beskar stuff laying around. I got that uh, Stormtrooper, that TK helmet from you. That's going to end up being turned into, uh, I've just been collecting the parts. I want to do that Matias remnant, just like the one helmet that I painted with the blue respirators on it. Um, but I want to do the whole get up just because I'm like, this just, it, it just looks sick. Like, I just love that aesthetic. And I was like, I mean, even if, if I was going to do a TK, it would be one of the remnant TKs. Just they're beat up. It's just like how you talk about the Sand Trooper. It's like, I don't know. Like Sand Trooper to me looks so ill. With the pack, and there's like there's a, like a story built in, you know, and yeah. I, I yeah, I I agree, and I think that's why, I think that's why the Mandalorian I think really captured a lot of those Star Wars fans because you know you you got that sense of the the Imperials are clean and tidy, you know, and it's like even Vader as the movies went on in the original trilogy, like his helmet got shinier and shinier, you know? Yeah. I was wondering and, if he had a guy following him around, like buffing his boots and his helmet. Like just, just keep, yeah. Right. Oh, Lord <laughs> Vader. Oh, you, yeah. you got a buff here. Oh, you know? Um, but I think, I think, you know, you kind of yeah. go back to that, you know, the world war two inspiration, the, you yeah. know, just really that, that lived in, there's a, there's a story to tell, you know? So I, and I've heard that from a lot of painters, of course, um, that we've had on the show is like everyone has a love for like the concept of Beskar, but I think every single person I've talked to that does paint jobs pre Beskar was like the coolest, the coolest color, you know, there was, you know, there are parts from other troopers and just stuff yep. that he had kind of like put together. Um, you know, and it that was, was a story with him when he first yeah, showed yeah. up. It's like, who the heck is this dude? What happened to it? Cause he looks like he just, like he crawled out of a star like pit or like a freak dragon cage is like dude what happened and still totally ready to kick your ass yeah oh yeah yeah which is the best whistling you know. birds or not yeah exactly exactly so daryl tell me a little bit about i'm always fascinated by anybody who's been able to jump into that swimming pool of being like i'm gonna go all in for this because i know that you how long have you been doing this full time like off earth has been a like your full you you are a prop maker like since like in, march of last year okay so yeah you're you're coming up on you're coming up on a year mm -hmm. yeah, one year three man yeah i love that i love that I, so tell me about that taxes. that process um honestly it's uh it was a huge push from my fiance she's my hugest you know supporter you know sometimes i even I don't even know if she knows what I'm talking about sometimes when I bounce ideas off. I'm like, look, I could do this. I could do that. Blah, 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 blah. And she's just like, yeah, that sounds great. You know? Um, or we were actually speaking about um, the Tuscan that I'm yeah. plotting. I'm in the plotting phases of this thing and printing. There's some cool concepts that I want to do to it. Cause it's just, I, I don't want it to be, you know, like a, it walked off the screen Tuscan Raider. Um, like I was telling you, like he's this, exile guy but i want him to have like a cool mixture of like tech and some more dialed down things that just kind of fit the aesthetic that i think could be like a mark that could have been hit with one of these guys um so yeah it was just like a conversation we had she was like i think you would just be happy doing this full time and we can do it full time i'm like really She's like, yeah, you don't have to go work for anybody if you're going to be miserable. I'm like, yes, I'm miserable. I want to make <laughs> stuff all day. Um, so it just kind of started with that. And then, it, you know, 
transitioned into me just joining groups and really paying attention, I guess, to what other people were making and seeing like, "Ah, I guess that's popular, but how much time would it take me to actually make this or would I actually enjoy making this? Because that's, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that. And I think that that's a huge aspect in prop making. It's do you enjoy it? Or are you just doing it to chase the internet clout and the, you know, the fame of the now? And I've never been that kind of person. I mean, I'm an older nerd, so I'm not really used to getting my flowers for anything. It's, you know, except from like my people. And uh, so you, you, you kind of have to go at it in a different way. So I've been, I've been more so looking at it from like a, like a professional standpoint, like if I was building a portfolio, what would people want to see that expresses to them who I am as a maker? So that's kind of what I've been doing with a lot of the different pieces, like the Wrecker helmet, for instance. I did like a live action take on Wrecker. Everybody's just doing the um, animated Bad Batch paint job. And I was like, that's cool. But what would he look like in reality? You know. And then, so let me, let me ask you this, you know, is your work being that you're in Cincinnati, you know, cause I think that for listeners who haven't followed your, like, know your whole story, like you straight up built a, basically a shed in your backyard. That is a full commitment in my opinion to being like, I am going to, this is my paint booth. This is my workspace. This is my, like, you are constantly upgrading it. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people that are looking at saying, you know, how, how do I, you know, how do I find success? And then how do I invest in myself to ma- be a better maker, right? Because Colin, uh, Odd Viking is, is one of the best people to talk about someone who's very talented that specifically is like, I am not going to be a full-time maker because like, I still enjoy it as a hobby, but I also can recognize what goes into doing it to the level that I want to do it. And yeah. he's like, I, I just, I don't have the time to commit to that or want to make that, that shift. So I, like I said, I give a lot of praise to people who dive head first. And I think building, <laughs> building a shed in your backyard to be able to say, I can paint in this place year round, because for people who don't know Cincinnati, it's a lot like Michigan. We have all four seasons. Sometimes and we have them in 24 hours, all four. That's right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that project. Like how did, how did that, how did that come about so that, you know, you're, you're, and I know that you're a big advocate for like doing it proper. You've got, you know, the proper fans in there to make sure that you're not doing anything combustible, you know, like tell, tell me that whole process of like what you did to kind of get that set up. So I was pa- originally painting in my garage, um, and I was using the old box fan, like the 20-inch box fan, 20, 20 by one, uh, furnace filter combo, which it works. Like, I'm not going to sit here and knock it and say, like, yo, you know, I mean, I painted the fan that I had, I probably used for three years and never once, like, sparked or exploded or caused an issue. Now, I'm not saying that these are explosion-proof devices you should go get an explosion proof fan or exhaust system. Um, they can be had for fairly inexpensive. You can actually go to a lot of uh, like uh, hydroponic places, like grow places to sell like 
like, you know, plant growing equipment. Um, a lot of their stuff is uh, explosion proof and rated for high CFM and, you know, because you got to move air in those places. So they're, they're, those are great resources. Um, shout out to the Sam at Imperial Circus for telling me that. Um, so the shed actually was on the property when we bought the house. And they had a bunch of like leftover shingles, tile, just, you know, it's like, just like a storage shed. And I was like, man, this would be a killer workspace. So we've been here, what, this is my third year in this house. So the first year and a half, it was just kind of like, you know, I would paint in there um, with the box fan set up. And I kind of had like a little makeshift booth that I built. And then I started getting more into the catalyzed paints. I was using them before, but mainly like just the clear coat. Um, then I started getting into like the catalyzed primers and, you know, Luma Luster and like all the stinky stuff. And uh, I was like, man, I really need to like upgrade because I have like no circulation in here. I could leave the doors open, but it's really not helping. So I kind of just decided that I needed to upgrade everything and just did a, a lot of research as one does. Um, and, you know, to the listeners, you're, you'll see a lot of different examples of a lot of different things out there. Um, and I know a lot of people instantly think, all oh, this stuff is expensive. Well, to a degree it is, but take your time, you know, and I always try to outline that in my little like tip videos when I talk about different things that I use. It's, you know, it's, this is, this is taking years to get to this point. It's still not where I want it to be. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at my work and going like, I need everything that he has, you know, you, you don't, you can make it work with. In, within your budget and you know it just takes time and while you're waiting do your research just always always research i mean i'm constantly online constantly looking i mean even at exhaust systems i'm thinking of other ways that i can improve on that system in itself now it works fantastically i just clear coated iron man helmet today and it is like one of the best clear coat jobs i've ever sprayed on a piece um but I'm still looking, how, how can I, how can I make this even better? I, like, you know, um, but yeah, it's just all, it's all research and not being afraid to just try it out. And I understand it's a, you know, to a lot of people, it seems kind of risky because it's your own money. But if you love this stuff the way that I love this stuff, that it doesn't matter. It's money. You'll get more of it. If you got a job, you got means something, you'll make it happen for yourself. You always do. Right, right. If speaking of that kind of understanding that you're in a different level, like the catalyzed paints, like explain to someone who is a hobbyist. And I know there's a, there's even a difference of, and I think that you and I have talked about this a little bit, um, you know, the kind of upgrading from a paint can, a rattle can, which will always have its place because in, in terms of just taking off a cap with a nice color and hitting that thing, it's hard to beat, right? Because yeah. you don't have to set up, you don't have to set up an airbrush. You don't have to, you know, it's a very hard system to beat. And so it's very easy why a lot of hobbyists would say, I'd rather just buy more colors of paint because there's the, you know, the rainbow of course is incredible. The gamut colors uh, that are available now from all different, you know, vendors. Um, but, but when you get into that next level, what do you, what is, how can you explain that to someone who's kind of saying, 
what where do I go? Where do I upgrade from rattle can? I would start in an airbrush. Um, honestly, um, it's all it's all about to me at least. It's the brush first, compressor second. You can go get a cheap compressor, um, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, uh, Macari, eBay. You know, you don't have to go out and go buy the iWatt and Ninja kit. You know, spend three hundred dollars on a compressor. Go take one hundred and fifty of that and put it towards. And I want a Eclipse. You'll get a, a good airbrush. And then take your time. Learn how to use your airbrush. Get on YouTube. Figure out how to tear this thing apart. Put it back together. Because you're going to be doing that a lot within that system. Once you got a hang of that, it's really, it's just playing around with the paints. And I, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the gamut of colors that you get out of um Rattle cans, like you know, you can go walk down an aisle at Home Depot and go, "Wow, look at all this rust-oleum." That's cool, but the difference with that versus mixing your own paints is, I have like three times as many colors that I can make, so I can actually sit down and figure out those Pantones. I can get as close to screen use, like yeah, Montana Storm might be a really good color for a Boba Fett helmet, but is that the actual color? Or is it, you know, some Tamiya mixture or something like that? So it gives you a little bit more freedom to just kind of, I wouldn't say freedom. It encourages encourages you more to play around. Whereas the rattle cans, it's kind of like a, like a, a crock pot. It's like a set it and forget it kind of thing. It's like sprayed it on there. It's red. I'm done. Whereas, you know, with the airbrush, you go, wait, but what else can I do with this? You know, maybe I can add this kind of red or that kind of red or something like that into it um and to me it's within making it's all about the growth process so even with you know the airbrush i was pretty good with the airbrush and i was like i need something else like i got to be able to move more paint and that's where i came into finding out about hvlp systems and meeting a giant air compressor and all these various types of spray guns and you know, so it's just, to me, it's about learning. So rattle cans always do have a place. And I tell people a lot, um, just had a conversation with a guy today. Like, yeah, I don't really care for all the extra stuff. I just want to paint stuff real quick, get it done. Like, oh, okay. How can I keep uh, my colors, my, my, my layers locked in? Because every time I put masking tape down, it peels up. I'm like, well, Montana makes this stuff called varnish. In a can, they have satin, matte, and gloss, whichever one you need. Lock your layer in. Spray some of that on there. It's real light, acid-free. It's not going to mess anything up. Then do your masking. I mean, it dries in like 30 minutes. You can mask over it in that, that amount of time. Or invest in better masking tape, you know. Get online. Look at what the automotive people use. Use that masking tape. That stuff's much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's much better stuff. So to me, it's all about learning. It's always kind of going to circle back to that. For for a lot of, and I, and I talk about this all the time because I think the people who listen to this podcast are at that level. Like they're painting enough that they've had their the hook set right there. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely know anyone who who does one project or one build, and they're like, oh, okay, I'm done. I'm moving on. It's like everyone that I know that's done it has scratched their head and said, well, I might as well make something else. I've already finished this project. And 
And you're another example of someone who's just really fallen in love with the process and like understanding all of that. And it's quite incredible at how much we in this hobby have learned um, more so than unfortunately anything else in our life that we've put this much energy into. Right. Um, and, and so now that you get into these, these catalyzed paints and now you're in a caustic automotive grade, like this is some heavy stuff that you're using here that should not be sprayed indoors unless you have proper ventilation. And, you know, you're researching this stuff and, and, and where are you kind of finding yourself going, okay, this is, you know, it's one thing to spray, you know, 2K clear coat outside. It's another thing like Tim Harrison talked about. He's like, man, I spray this stuff inside because I live in Chicago and mm-hmm. I have a straight up, like, I cannot breathe this stuff in because, like, I am the definition of prolonged exposure, you know? Yeah. And and where where is that difference of, for you, that you you said, okay, if I'm taking serious products and I'm using them, I've got to upgrade my own system to respect those products? I mean, it's I, I have a respirator. I have a full paint suit with a hood. Everything goes on. I usually throw my... Bluetooth headphones and and they're actually 3M noise canceling because my air compressor sits right next to my booth and when it's running it's loud um, and I think the those headphones are like negative 20 dB or something like that so it dulls it to a hum and it's not like a loud over like a machine gun um, which is great um, but it, that's kind of where like the the need for like venting out side was and because when you spray that stuff and tim will probably attest to it you know you want to cut down on um overspray but because of the way that these guns are set up and most of them need bigger needle nozzles for the 2k clear you're creating a a nice cloud and it's very apparent that you're spraying this stuff there and um yeah so it kind of commands its its respect from you you know I mean, it's sticky, it's messy, it's stinky. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to die at 40 because I've been sitting around huffing catalyzed paint and having that stuff harden in my lungs or whatever. So, yeah, you know, proper ventilation, proper uh, PPE, masks. Uh, if I spray clear, I usually put goggles on too because it's just like, it's everywhere. And then I, you know, my fan's on high and it's extracting, it's taking it outside. Um, and I try not to stay in there very long because usually they, the catalyzed paints have flash times in between coats. So say 10 minute flash time, I'll get my coat on and I'll walk out and then I'll come back and assess from there, um, just to kind of respect the, the product. So I don't end up hurting myself. And yeah, that's, I want that's everybody a very, there. That's a very important point, Daryl. I would yeah. say that that's, if someone's going to take something away from it, because I think, Really, until the Mandalorian, I would say it's like a lot. There were there were always hobby painters out there, hundred percent. But I think where a lot of people got a lot of their chops was by model painting, mm-hmm. and a lot of times you have, and of course, like you know the enamels that people were using for you know Warhammer and all that stuff. Like a lot of it was old old enamels and uh, you know train car paint and all that kind of stuff, and that stuff stinks, no doubt. And people would some people would wear masks, but I think, you know, our grandparents' generation that used to paint their own model cars and stuff like that, 
man, they were just like, oh, it doesn't matter, whatever. We don't know, you know. And and then and then there was a big shift for acrylic paint because then acrylic started staying on just as well as enamel. It started drying faster, all that. So between like for colors, like what? Tell me a little bit about your process because I, I love your paint jobs. I mean, that's something I think I I hit you up every time, and I'm like, dude, this is a knockout. And I feel like I'm just sending you a bunch of messages about gushing over your paint jobs. But you know what? For for colors. And I know people are going to look at your work and say, dang, like what, what is your process? So now that we've got the kind of the varnishes and the, and the catalyzed clear coats out of the way, tell me a little bit about like your color process. Like what, what are you, you know, what are your tips? What are your, your tools for, for getting the color on the paint that you do? So I, I try to, I have like a bunch of different, now I have a bunch of different um, PDF files from different companies that they're color swatches. So what I'll try to do if I'm trying to color match something, um, let's just say, I don't know, pre star brown, right? I'll have an image of that. I'll bring it into like Photoshop or Illustrator and I'll get paint dropper and I'll see where in the, in the scale that fits within a line of paints. And if it's not an exact match, um, like Tamiya, for instance, Tamiya has a lot of, uh, they sell them little cans or whatever of paint. Um, I'll just go buy a bunch of like browns and I'll sit there and mix a bunch of different browns and see how they look once, you know, wet and dry. Um, and then I just kind of spray from there, you know, I just take like paint thinner or acrylic thinner and mix that in with it. Um, I know some people like to use, uh, rubbing alcohol, IPA, isopropyl alcohol when they cut their acrylics, but I don't because it flashes really quickly. And what I mean by flashes is like alcohol is a solvent and that solvent evaporates in when it makes contact with oxygen. Um, so then you get um, uh, like dry, like dry tip on your airbrush or your paint gun where it like hardens there because that solvent that was keeping it wet and flowing through is no longer there. So I like to just use like to me a paint thinner. Um, I know some people even will say water, but the thinner is great because it adds a solvent layer so it can flash off and leaves your paint looking nice and vibrant on your piece. So when it comes to colors, I'd say I primarily stick around water-based or um, acrylic paints, a lot of Createx colors, a lot of Tamiya. Um, sometimes I'll get Montana stuff um, just because some of their some of their pigments are just so beautiful it's like i want to see what this looks like um but very little can mostly me mixing paints because i'm already doing it with catalyzed stuff um i do use some catalyzed colors like base coats but not much because that stuff is so expensive i mean a quart of like a a, a base red will run me like 60 bucks where I could just go get, you know, a bunch of little tiny dollar cans of Tamiya, pots of Tamiya and mix it up myself and get what I need out of it. And I spent $3. Um, so yeah, I, I do a lot of, of coloring with either water-based or acrylic. It's, it's easier, it's safer, and I have a wider variety of colors to play with versus in the automotive spectrum because you're spending a lot of money just to get the same results that you can get out of the cheaper acrylics. Yeah. And that, and I think painting, painting has turned into a thing for a lot of people, because like I said, un, until the, the Mandalorian, 
and people were, you know, I mean, ABS by default, the way that most armor vendors were buying it is shiny white anyways. And that was kind of always synonymous with, you know, shiny white was stormtroopers and everything that the rebels had was second rate beat up equipment. So not too many people had ever really started to think about doing like movie quality, nice finishes, you know? And then I, I saw a big shift in people painting these Iron Man helmets and, and really trying to emulate uh, metal and, and, yeah. and this like high gloss metal, which like, I think a lot of people recognized it in Django's helmet, of course, but even Django's helmet. It's not as, had, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's got a, it's got a, it's got a, a coat of, of a uh, career of bounty hunter all over it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know what paint they used for Django's armor. Um, I don't know if it, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it, it, it's not a Luma luster. Yeah. I can look at it and tell you it's not that, but um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to see that because the, the Django is a little bit more muddled because that, that color almost looks like somebody sprayed chrome on it and didn't let it dry all the way and then shot clear over it and it pulled the chrome into the clear. That's where you get like the people on the internet that say, you can't clear chrome, man. It's not possible. It's like, oh, all right. Look at this shiny thing. It's clear coated and chrome. Tell me how I can't do it again. Um, but no, but Django's is a different sheen. It was almost like a satin finish to it. Um, yeah, but I think you're right. I think the Mandalorian really helped like guide people to that, especially once um, the community found out that that Aluma Luster was used to make the Beskar, you know, on the helmet and the rest of the armor. Um, it was a statement too. It really was. It was really a statement when he walked out in that full Beskar. You were just like, "Oh, what in the world is going on here?" <laughs> This is incredible. Yeah, it's like the, I need you know, to make like this. The, yeah, the cowboy walking into the you know walking into the bar with the two long, brand new Colt forty five. Oh, you know, yeah. and you're like, oh man, that dude is ready to go. You know, there was just something, there was just something about it. And you know, something else I want to ask you in in regards to this because this is a costume that that you have built a couple of them, and I've also built myself. And probably the biggest thing that I wrestled with when I was building my din beskar version was um, i was building it at the at the university and i was gracious enough that you know we do enough community effort that our director of theater was like oh come in come in here and if i you know need you to come in and and tell the students what you're working on like i'm going to send them over to you and i've had a couple students come and be like hey tell me about this you know how does this work and but but the problem is it's also next door in the same open air room it's a wood shop too and there are just particles just everywhere all over the place. So I would paint, you know, I'd put 2K down and I'd go, okay, it looks good. It's nice and wet and shiny. It's just got that gloss to it. And I come in the morning and I'm like, what happened here? You know what I mean? How, how do you deal with dust? We're talking, we're talking like high grade paint jobs. Dust is the nightmare that everyone has encountered at some point, right? Yeah. How do you deal so with it? That's part of my v3 upgrade i would say um so part of the reason why i don't like wooden paint booths well there's two things really one it's wood it absorbs stuff like chemicals and can catch fire and that would suck um and two 
like if you bump into like something wooden, just like, you know, if you got a playground in your backyard or something that's made out of wood, like one of those old ones, just bump into it and then just look and see. There's all these little grains and particulates that break off and, and move. So for me, what I like to do is I'll come in, I'll turn my exhaust fan on and I'll let, I'll let that run. And uh, I have just like painter plastic and I put a bunch of painter plastic up all around the booth, except for, you know, the area that exhausts out. Um, I try to keep my filters clean too, just because you never know, I might spray and something might come back um, even with the suction. Um, and then I'll take like distilled water out of a spray bottle and I'll just kind of miss the area. And I think I heard Tim talking about this or he said something about it, Tim Harrison. And I was like, hmm, let me try that. And it, it does, it helps cut down on all of that. But I mean, my shed's wood. So when I walk, I'm walking on wood. Um, so it's really just building the environment. Um, so like V3 of my paint booth is going to be sheet metal. Just the booth section of it itself will be sheet metal because things don't really like to stick to metal. You know, so you can spray something like that and it'll hit the wall and just drop. Like real professional paint booths have like this water trough where all that stuff runs and drips into this drip tray that keeps it off your actual work surface. I'm not going that far. I just, I think that if I have a metal booth, I'll be a lot better off with that. And I'm going to curtain off the area that I'm painting in. And it's kind of just going to be as sterile as I can make it for what it is. Um, I do get, you know, dust nibs here and there. It's annoying. Then I got to wait a day and then try to sand it out. Um, it's usually not that big of a deal. It's more of a, it's a waste of material. So if I get a dust nib and like a clear coat job, I usually set that piece aside and wait until I'm clearing other parts. And then I'll go, you know, sand that and then get back to that piece. Like, okay, I can clear this now. Because if not, I'm mixing up and just wasting a batch for a dust particle. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's really just, I, I try to keep the area clean. You know, I got a shop back in there. I try to vacuum out and just um, really think about that kind of thing. You know, it's just a, another step in, trying to chase these perfect paint jobs at home. It's almost impossible, but it can be done. <laughs> I love well that see that almost is what keeps everybody coming back for sure. Uh that's and, and you know what? The sheet metal, Daryl, that's how you get Fordite. Do you know what that is? Mm -mm. Fordite is in back in the assembly line days in Detroit, all the paint booths used to have so much paint that would lay up on the floor. Okay. That eventually they would have to come through and cut out the paint that eventually would just get layered up. And uh -huh. all of those different layers would look like rock sediment, but they would just be in this like rainbow. Mm -hmm. And you literally, they called it Fordite as if it was some kind of like mineral you found in the ground, but it was just all different <laughs> Ford paints. And my, and my no, grandfather had, awesome. he's like, yeah, it's called Fordite. I'm like, what? And it just, you realize it was just paint, but it had been hardened for years. You know, it's just oh. a layer. Yeah, look it up. It's it's hilarious. But that's what that's you can. Uh, crazy. Yeah, you're developing a uh, a, a nice little uh, Fordite collection. Eventually, you'll have. Yeah, um, you know, maybe I'll sell it on Etsy or something. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Mineral rock that I found. It's a geo. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wait, someone describe this to me. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so Daryl, let me let's let's get into. Uh, I, I've been talking a lot of 
of printers with people because, man, it seems like every time I swear I could do this podcast with all of the guests that I've already had on and do it like everyone comes back one year later when we talk about it because that's how fast technology is changing in regards mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. printers and, you know, resin availability and all this kind of stuff. And I know that you're an advocate of FDM printers, your standard 3D printers still. And then I know that you've also got into some resin printing too. So tell me a little bit your take on as the resin printers really hit the scene in terms of, you know, always trust the lazy man to do the job because they'll figure out the easiest way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And resin is just a really great if you're printing small stuff and now resin you know the uh, it eventually will go the beds will get bigger the screens will get bigger all of that stuff um and 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 a lot of people have really loved the results that they've gotten out of their resin printer but i know that you are an advocate of both still in this hobby can you explain a little bit to people who are listening that are cons- that are on the fence of printing they don't know which printer to get because they're both like kind of now starting to like equalize in terms of their price. I mean, give me the, give me the skinny in your opinion. Okay. So my new opinion, newly formulated opinion of this is that a 3d printer is a tool, not a means to an end. And what I mean by that is no matter if you choose FDM or resin printing, you can reach your goal either way. So if your budget is 400 bucks, but you need to be able to print helmets in you know, one shot, you're going to be in the FDM realm, the melted plastic and the tool head moving around, um, 3D printing more so than you would be in the resin world. Um, you can get some pretty decent four or $500 resin printers that you can do a helmet on, but it's going to be chopped in 70 pieces. And like the Elegoo Saturn or the Epax E10. I actually have an Epax E10. Um, great printer, uh, but it's, you know, I, I used it for uh, the shoulder bells, actually, on my pre-Bestar Mando. It was great. But, I mean, it, it, it has its benefits, but I, the resin just isn't as durable, in my opinion, as the FDM prints. And I print exclusively in PETG. Um, it has a lot higher, um, it, it bends more, it's more bendy than it is rigid. So if you drop it, the odds of it shattering like a PLA print, which is a very rigid plastic, um, won't be there. It has higher heat resistance. So you can leave this helmet in your car in the summertime and you don't have to worry about it looking like a melted Vader helmet. Um, <laughs> when you come back um and it's it's easier to sand than pla i find um so i can post process it a lot quicker uh, yeah resin sands like butter it's super easy to deal with in, in that regard um but then again like i said it's the strength that isn't there so resin for me is like i'll make something that's resin but it's going to hang on my wall it's never going to go out and be trooped in um because resin is very expensive as well. Um, I think over COVID, I was getting it at like $20 a bottle, and now it's $40 a bottle. It's almost doubled in price now. Um, I mean, filament's gone up too, not as much as resin, but, you know, resin's great for certain things, making molds that, of items that you want to rapidly manufacture. Resin printing would be it. But to me, it's really it's what you need it for. Um, 
but also it's just a tool. It's not a means to an end. I don't, I don't look at it like that anymore, especially since I've gotten super into mold making and casting and different materials like urethane rubbers and foams. Um, it's just a tool, you know, I just use it for, to get me to the next step basically. So tell me a little bit about that too, because this is something I'm fascinated by. I mean, once I think, when I think that we found out that all of the modern stormtroopers were made out of urethane, right? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, my mind is blown because I'm so used to this ABS vacuum form, the way that they did it. And I am still a, a, a advocate for saying, yes, you can 3D print a stormtrooper armor, a hundred percent, but at what cost and why are you printing something that is going to be better as an ABS kit? If you're going for an original trilogy trooper, wear the damn costume the same way that they made them in 1977. Right. But now we have the a modern take on it. They retooled, let's say like, let's start with rogue one. The rogue one TK was kind of that kickoff for a lot of people and it shocked the the costuming world when you saw a picture of him sitting down and everyone was like wait a minute what 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 how 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 oh yeah i remember when i first saw the helmet i was like what is this (laughs) right right and the details were sharp and they're you know they were indented and i i love all of the work that glenn dillon and uh and sam williams what they did in in you know rogue one solo I love that stuff. So I, I, lo- I am such a huge advocate for what they did for Star Wars in that time. But then then from the makers part of it, I, I believe I want to say at the time that almost every single First Order TK was about six to $8,000 in terms of like what went into making them almost a piece, I think, with the rigging and all that, um, which for a Hollywood studio is like, that's just the cause. I mean, this is Star Wars. You know, we spare no expense. But then for us makers, you're sitting there going, man, that's like, imp- that's impossible. I, yeah. I, I, there, there's no one who's going to buy anything that's going to even come close to getting recuperating the money and amount of time that I'm going to put into there. But now you've gotten really into the urethanes and you're doing that with some other hobbies too. But like, tell me a little bit about that process. And like, is that, is this stuff becoming more available? Like, why do I feel like I'm seeing more hobbyists now starting to make stuff out of it? Um, I think it's because of what you said. We know that the first order TKs were mainly uh, urethane rubber. Pretty sure some of the parts of that costume are rigid plastic still. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's no real need for a full-blown urethane rubber suit in that nature. Um, just from my experience with it, stunt suits, yeah, you're going to, you know, you'll use it because it's, you're, you're going to beat it up. You're going to get your money out of it, basically, you know. Um, and then the Mandalorian. We know the Book of Boba Fett. We know that Boba Fett's armor is, like, I'm pretty sure every scene they shoot with him, uh, with Tim, he's got on a urethane suit. Yeah. It's probably more cost-effective for that way. It's, you know, they, I mean, six to eight grand isn't bad. If I was going to make somebody, you know, just, the pieces of the suit or something like that probably run you about that much. I'm, I'm, I'm so, geeked to, to know more about this. So the, the casting process is pretty much the same as you would for uh, like a rigid plastic. 
So you can rotocast this stuff. You can kind of like get the cavity mold and pour in the precise amount that's going to flush over in your silicone and produce, you know, beautiful casts with very little flashing on it. All the traditional techniques still work for this product. The takeaway is that you have now made something that is more durable for the use across, you know, an entire season of a show or seasons of a show. Whereas, you know, ABS, like, yeah, that stuff's, you know, it's tough, but unless you're backing it with fiberglass or something, like, it, it can crack. You know, somebody bumps into it the wrong way, it, it can crack. Um, the only other caveat with it is painting it. And that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about here shortly with some of the builds that I'm doing. Um, one has nothing to do with Star Wars. One does. Um, and they're both urethane rubber. And there, there are inexpensive ways that are still kind of pricey. And then there are, you know, the extreme ways, which I tend to prefer the extreme ways because there's a reason why that, that certain things have a price tag that they do. There's a reason why, you know, Aluma Luster costs what it does and the products that come from Imperial Circus cost what they do. They do what other people claim their products can do. Just, it, it's it's different. I don't know. It's it, it, it's different. I tell Sam all the time, every time I spray Aluma Luster, I'd like stare at it and watch the solvents flash off. And it's like, it's like you're literally spraying metal onto something. You're just looking at it come to life. You're like, how is this possible? It's wizardry. Um, but for me, the journey in the urethane rubber was because I wanted to figure out a way to get rid of a lot of the pinch points in costuming. I want to be able to sit down without having to take off, you know, like a, a whole waist section or a, a plate carrier, torso section. So it's been a lot of a lot of research. The materials are out there. Um, the information is out there, but you got to wait for people like me to put the information out there on YouTube or you have to go searching yourself because it's it's there um but you just got to look for it and you got to know what you're looking for and kind of be in the mindset to kind of understand it i mean there's different shore hardnesses from 20a being really soft up to like 90a being like a really tough but still flexible piece that can take some abuse um you know just like with anything with casting plastics there's different you know materials that do different things different hardnesses xyz um so yeah it's just it's all education man it's that, that's what i feel like i do a lot of it's research yeah. i wish i was doing more painting but i do a lot of research yeah we're grateful for that you know because even if even if i know colin and i have the same mindset where it's like this is always going to be a hobby for me and in some ways just because i know how my brain works it's like if i don't have hobbies then i go i start to lose my and i and i basically just like pass over hobbies that i used to do a lot because i've gotten so into another hobby that i end up obsessing over which i know is very common in in this particular hobby of costuming um but what i'm curious about just because i'm talking to someone who actually has in-depth process with this um you know, I've, I've purchased a lot of resin helmets from other makers. Uh, some of them are super clean. Um, I bought a, a bucket off Jason uh, Mandalorian, but it's like, man, for as many buckets as that dude makes, like he makes a damn good bucket for the price. And I was actually able to get a B grade that he had. I think he was having someone help him, you know, cut out the T visor. 
And it was goofed up, so I had to go in and bondo it and fix it up. But, like, in, in regards to looking at the helmet, I'm like, man, this thing's, like, you know, prime it, ready, ready for paint. Let's go. And then I've gotten some other buckets from some other people that have air holes, and they've got that pocking in it. And, you know, and then you go through, you got to bond. It's just more work, right? Yeah. Um, does the does the urethane, like, does do you have to worry about bubbles the same way you have to worry about, like, with resin? Like, or how how what is that process like for that? You can still trap air bubbles. Um, it's kind of the reason why with like armor parts, I still tend to like the slush casting molds versus the like two part molds because you can trap them if you don't set them up right. Usually what people do is they'll pour a little bit in, slush it around before they close the mold and pour more in. At least that way your material is touching all of the surfaces. And then when it's rising in there, it's kind of that if there was something there it's already on the surface so it's just going to push it out um with like plastics and stuff it, it depends on the, of the mold and then also too sometimes i really do think that it's, it's the products it's not always just you know oh there's this there was an air bubble trap down here or whatever uh, sometimes it could just be the product it might not be you know the best quality stuff um and some companies just they push out such a volume to the consumers versus other companies where they make their stuff for the industry. So recently I've been more leaning towards the stuff that's been used by the industry and I've had great results out of those products, um, even with a very limited uh, basis of knowledge of that product, other than what the TDS provides for me. And that's another thing, guys. Read the TDSs. A lot of questions that people ask me, it's like, dude, if you would have just like got on Crayon Texas website and read the TDS for this paint, they would have told you the exact PSI to spray it. Like, read your TDSs. That's why I see a lot of people out here saying that without their masks on and stuff. You didn't read. You didn't you didn't read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's a that's a really important part of understanding that, you know, and, and even for me, just you know, assuming that you know, a lot of chemicals are like, hey, you know, if if it's a primer, it probably works with this. And then, you know, if it's, you know, you can't, you can't do lacquer base, you can't do anything with alcohol in it, any kind of ammonium. There's just like a lot of stuff that goes into these products that yeah. until you truly use them or, you know, even when I would hear people that say, what's the process to get Beskar? And then, it always rises to the top, the same, you know, primer, 2K, that. And then even just recently, though, you had a little bit of a different, you know, you were like, I'm getting, my primer's getting lifted off into my clear coat, you know? And mm -hmm. that was kind of a first that I had heard of that because up until this point, everyone was saying, hit the flat black primer, the hot rod primer from, you know, Duplicolor. Yep. And then do your 2K over that, which is what I did for mine. And it worked fine. But then when you said that, I looked at what you were talking about. I'm like, I can totally see it, you know? And yeah. So is that like, you know, a, a surface prep thing? Like, what what is that? Uh, that was a cast. So it wasn't surface prep because um, I prep all that stuff the same. Right. Um, it's the product. That's what, because I, I saw it in like little small areas, like around like the, the bottom of the helmet where you really wouldn't notice that but i really looked at it you know i didn't show all that in the video but i really looked at it and was like oh wait i can see 
the color of the resin underneath this. Like, what is going on here? And, you know, just over just a little bit more research, I find out that, you know, non-catalyzed stuff can do that. It can lift itself into uh, catalyzed clear, like reactivates it almost. It's like when you paint with alcohol uh, paints, like uh, Copic inks, a lot of the weathering techniques and stuff that people do with like Copic inks, they'll just get like a, you know, if you got like a bo helmet, just get the same color blue and alcohol ink that her helmet is. Spray that on, let it sit for 15, 20 minutes, and then get a spray bottle with 91% rubbing alcohol and spray it on there. You'll get those watermarks, right? Because um, it reactivates it. So it's the same thing with the catalyzed paint and the non-catalyzed stuff. Even though it's like technically dry, the, the, the activator in there like reactivates that paint and agitates it so it's not bonded 100% to the surface and it creeps into the clear coat. Now you have this weird gray color and you're like, this isn't black. What's happened? Um, and then I was talking to another costumer, uh, Rogue's Gallery. They built that Beast of an Iron Man uh, cosplay. Him and his wife, They uh, he told me about that House of Color uh, sealer. And I used it. I liked it. But I was like, oh, it's another catalyzed thing. And I remember seeing uh, the Crayotex Colors Autoborn Air Sealer. And it's does the same thing. It's cheaper, and I don't have to mix anything. Just pour it in my gun and spray. So it's great. Um, so now my new process is not using the duplicolor for anything that's going to be chromed. It's using a, a black sealer, then 2K clear, and then your metalizer. Nice. Okay, that's good. Man, I'm just like, I feel like I compound information to be like, okay, this process, this process, this works for Daryl. He's in, and I feel like that's kind of part of why I like having knowing that there are customers all over the country because it's so easy to think that like, well, how come it's so easy for these guys in Southern California to do it? Come the on. Weather, like, perfect temperature, sunshine, leave it outside. It like will dry in an instant, which is why I love painting in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but then we also have like pretty bad humidity here, you know, and that's another part of it, which like I, I I've talked to a lot of customers in Florida I can't even comprehend that level of humidity. Dude, Jackson, I don't know how Jackson gets the paid jobs he does living in Florida. Because my parents live in Florida. And I go down there, my mom's like, you guys should move to Florida. I'm like, I need, it's like, so you're going to buy me a climate control warehouse to paint in? <laughs> right. Why do you need that? Because it's like 100 degrees down here, 98% humid every single day. Like, except for maybe a couple, you know, hours here and there. Um, so yeah, I don't, oh, Florida man, they're, those guys are, they're some beasts. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Daryl, let me, let me, let me ask you this too. Cause the one thing that I want to know is as I think a lot of people are, and I'm really starting to see it. I think Danny Redman is working on a, like he's actually pigmented his Boba armor. Yep. I saw that. Which looks awesome. Right. And now, and we can also see on some of the, the production stuff is that the book of Boba Fett, shoulders are tr a little bit translucent yellow which means that they pigmented that shoulder armor too right mm -hmm. have you had any process with with pigmenting armor yet or are you still doing like you know a single color and then you're you're painting it from there i've played with pigments uh they i feel like it's like with the paints what i was explaining earlier about like the acrylic paints but they more have like your 
like base and um, I forget what they call it, like the base and secondary colors. Um, you know, like like a nine color spread that you can mix and match in any way to achieve any kind of color that you want. Um, and a lot of the stuff, well, I've only used Poly Colors, which is a Polytech product, and it's like an industry product. Um, I've never had any issue with like fading or it not coming out the way that I wanted it um, within a cast so far. So you totally could just like pigment something like how Danny's doing the Boba Fett armor and be like, here you go. Green, done, green, done. Um, the only thing that I would worry about would be getting your paints to match, like the helmet to match the armor. Because Shauna has said that the helmet green is the same as the armor. Trust her. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Even though I, I, I love the troll. <laughs> I love the troll. Every time something happens, I'm like, oh, man. 16 new colors of green. We got to figure out, guys. Yeah, you know, yeah, Jumping yeah. on those Facebook groups, trolling those guys. It's hilarious. Oh, man. It's, and it is, it, is a, it is an entertaining pastime, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so so getting in into that, and I think something that, as you're going to start seeing more of this urethane armor, kind of enter the marketplace a little bit. And and we are, have, I think we've already seen it with, you know, a couple of guys were doing, um, you know, the, the knee pads for Boba and the, you know, knee gauntlets and all that kind of stuff. Like you, then, and people were doing with, I think, Wasted and Jason are doing uh, the full urethane pieces. And so I think, I think we're, we're kind of going to start seeing that turn into something, but I know that because you use the products that you use, what a lot of hobbyists don't understand is that paint in general is not flexible. No. And so if we get into urethane stuff, which is designed to be more wearable, AKA flexible, your paint, if you just spray a regular old rattle can on it, like you would with plastic, you're going to have some problems. So can you oh, yeah. give me as someone who might urethane paint urethane someday, tell me a little bit about what I'm looking for in terms of saying, if I want to paint something and I need to make it flexible, what is my process to do that? So you're, Quickest, cheapest alternative or method would be to go to O'Reilly's and uh, either buy a aerosol because they make this product. This is the only product that I'm going to plug that is both an aerosol and can be sprayed through a gun um, or airbrush. I probably wouldn't spray it through an airbrush. Um, is Bulldog Adhesion Promoter. Um, it is made... Well, I don't know if it's actually made for this. I think somebody might have just figured this out as some kind of hack or something. But you can spray, you can spray it in a can, um, let it set up, and you can paint on top of it. Um, I don't know what kind of paints you can use with it because I haven't used the product yet. I have it, but I'm going to do my urethane breakdown across a couple of different products. Um, the next one is a spray only. It's a uh, BJB Enterprises, they make this stuff called TC90. That's Tango Charlie 90. Um, it is a two-part catalyzed urethane, urethane uh, primer, basically. So you can get it in uh, gloss or matte, um, depending on what your, what, what your top coat's going to be. And you layer this stuff. So you would take a rubber piece like uh, a Mandalorian chest. It's black. You're going to spray the TC90 on, let that set up, 
then you're going to apply your paint, and then you're going to apply another layer of the TC90 on top of that. And what that's going to do is give you that nice protection so you can't scratch the paint off because while it'll flex and bend and you can crumple the hell out of it and it'll bounce back and it'll look great, like uh, Sam does a lot on his posts on Instagram, you'll see him crunching stuff. Um, but scratching, usually it's game over. Um, I don't know. I don't have it down here anymore. I was going to show you this piece that I have here. Um, it's actually out the shed. But it, scratching usually is game over for it unless you have that top coat, which protects it. And then the third product that I know of is from Imperial Surface. It is Imperial Flex, and it is applied in the same manner that the TC90 from BJB Enterprises is. So you have your piece, spray that down, Aluma Luster, and then spray another top coat of it, same way you would with anything else, and you're good to go, flexible as can be. So from there, then you're, then, you know, you paint as according, right? So I know that specifically, you know, we've got most of the armor and especially when Frank and the Thingergy crew were doing Lang's armor, right? Or even Moff Gideon's. When mm -hmm. I, when he told me that Moff Gideon's armor wasn't actually painted and they got oh. all of that shininess from. I know how they did that too. So I know, how, I know how they get that look on the armor the way that you would when he was talking about that. I was like, yeah, mm, yeah I know exactly how he did that. Um, so the top chest plate of Moff Gideon, like the chop center, it's matte, right? And then the rest of it's like shiny and it's rubber. Rubber doesn't need a mold release in the mold to come out because it's up against silicone. You literally can just peel it out. It's like the easiest thing to demold ever. It's so satisfying too. When you pull a rubber, your thing rubber piece out of silicone mold is like, oh, so easy it's so <laughs> low drag on the mold it's great but for that top chest section well i don't know exactly how they did it this would be my guess is they sprayed mold release in that area you spray mold release in um if your cast part is molded with like a look, the 2k clear over it it leaves this just glass-like finish on the inside of the silicone Every single thing that you pull out of that, if you do not put mold release in it, will be shiny as can be. Put mold release in there, or, you know, you can put some spray it in, you know, a cup or something or a brush and brush it in as well. When you put that in there, you'll get two different finishes. So that top chest plate would come out matte and the sides would come out glossy, like the, the bottom belly section and the sides come out glossy. In my mind, after you talked to him, I was like, I think I know how to get that. Yeah. That's how I would have done it. Yeah. And and what's really interesting too is because they start off with a lot of their projects in foam mm -hmm. for fit and for figuring out exactly what goes onto it, which again is like such a testament for when you're in that, you know, when you're in that mindset of, I mean, the fact that they made Fennec's armor and her outfit without knowing a, who the actor was, and then having like two weeks to make Fennec Shan, this character that now is on, you know, it, it certainly not a sixth, seventh thought character. Like if they no, make, she a, was right in the bad batch and now she's in a uh, book of Boba Fett. Is this, yeah. Is yeah. So like the fact kick. that, yeah, but it's like two weeks went into that and they crushed that costume. 
And that shows you, like, that is that difference of being like, you come to work, we're going to make a damn costume today, and it's going to go be seen by millions of people. Oh, yeah. I would love to do that. Well, you know what, Daryl? I'm thinking this is going to be the year. Let's just keep moving forward with it. I don't know if I want it to be, like, my full-time job working at a place like that, but I totally would be down to just, like, go sign an NDA and go to Thingergy for, like, I'll fly myself out to California and work with Frank and them for a couple of weeks on something. I'm like, what you need me to do, man? I'll sign whatever paperwork. Let's get it going. I'll go uncredited. I don't even care. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, I feel like most people are, are kind of, especially at that level, are, I think we just would soak up the, maybe like it's like the creative energy, you know, just mm-hmm. to like see how different, cause I, and I think that's why we are in such a renaissance time for, makers right now is because the people who you know jackson his showcase is incredible and he's not as heavy about the like how he does stuff and like if you ask him he'll he'll give you as much as he wants to give you which is great he's an he's incredibly talented painter but i look at someone like you and i'm like this is someone who crushes the final product but then to put back in the time to show about reverse engineering and getting to that point is i just i i love that um, philosophically, I've been kind of dealing with this, this question a lot. And I, and I want to ask you this because you're, I think this is going to be a question that I'm going to keep asking as I talk to more people on it. We've gotten to this point in the hobby where we are respecting other vendors for their talents. Mm-hmm. We, it, there, there was a time where you can't kind of had to ache with me and build your own costume from the ground up. This turned into this thing, right? You got to learn, if you want to be a cosplayer, you got to learn how to sew, how to build, how to foam, how to paint, all this, right? And it was kind of this like gauntlet. And now the process, I mean, it, you know, buying a commissioned kit used to kind of be a little bit looked down upon, especially in the 501st Legion, Did because it? they they wanted to know that people were going through that process of like reappreciating how they made this armor and okay and you know and some some people were just being that i haven't been in the legion for that long but i know that that's how a lot of costumers felt about it and now it's like you could literally join one of these boba fett groups and you can get tailored to your body an incredible undersuit from you know mike quinones from dark side closet Giovanni of Crow Props, you can buy the armor kit that comes literally out of the mold in the proper green that Danny wants you to have. You buy the perfect set from Luke at JJ Industries. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like better than anything that any hobbyist is going to make because this stuff is like literally so pro. We used to look at a Novos and used to think like, oh man, you just bought the Novos costume. Like, Meh. you know, are we, where are we in terms of like, you know, cause you're a builder, you are a builder who makes things and you bring it to life. Yeah. Frank Ippolito. Most of the people, almost every person I've talked to on this show is a builder, but the, the industry of hobbying and cosplay and costuming, especially in Star Wars has become more convenient than ever if you are a, if you are a accuracy nut like people love to say how do you get more accurate than just buying it from the people who are 
like literally building some of the doing most accurate it, stuff I've yourself. ever seen. And, you know, failing on, on your own accord and learning from that. Um, where are we? We are wherever the hell we are, man. If you got the money to go spend on Danny Redmond's Boba Fett and Pro Props' boot covers and JJ's uh, metal pieces and, you know, Magnolia's flight vest or dark side closet, whoever you choose, you want to go throw that money at them? Do it. Do it. Do it. Why not? You know, because maybe the person on the other end of that bank account doesn't have the time to put into it, but they love it just as much as we do, right? They love this just as much as we do. They want to be able to go out and troop. I know you guys always talk about all the charitable uh, things that you do in your costume, showing up to hospitals and uh, different things like that, just to put a smile on a child's face. Okay, they they spent money on this costume. Same thing. You're spending money on the materials to make the costume. It's like I was saying with a 3D printer. It's not a means to an end, but this is a means to an end for them. Maybe you just are a tinkerer and you love this stuff the way that we love this stuff. And maybe they don't really feel like they're crafty enough or they have some form of imposter syndrome if they think that they're making it versus buying it or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But I think everybody's entitled to just go out here and have fun. And the minute you stop stop having fun with it, it's when, you know, you start to hate the thing. Um, so if they want to spend their money on it, they should be able to spend their money on it and be just as accepted as somebody who put 10,000 hours into this stuff, man. You know, because of the people like us that put our 10,000 hours into it, they're able to buy this stuff. I mean, whatever. Somebody wants to commission me for a rubber set of urethane Boba Fett armor? Cool. I got you. Obviously, you either don't have the talent or you don't want to learn how to do it, but you got the wallet for it. So come on over. I have no sure. problem. I have no problem with that one way or another. You know, and if you have questions, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm an after sale kind of guy. I answer questions. Uh, the gentleman that purchased the Boba Fresh armor from me um, was asking. He, he built the blaster. He wanted to build his own blaster. So he got a kit. And he wanted to paint it, and he was asking me all these questions about it. I'm like, yeah, man, this, this, that, yeah, this is what you want to do. He didn't buy the blaster for me, but, you know, he's got the time now to sit down and mess with that. Why not? I'm going to nourish that. I'm not going to discourage it. Yeah. Well, just, I and I think it's, like, I'm, I'm really curious about this because I think the, you know, the spirit, the spirit of building and the spirit of creativity was always what I think inspired a lot of people in regards to costuming was just this idea that, you know, people were building the, the, the ladder just kept getting taller and taller in terms of looking up and going, that is impressive that somebody built that. And I, and, and everyone that I talked to, you know, it's like Luke Daly is one of the most helpful people. He's like yourself is like, you know, I, I don't know how the guy finds the time of the day to do all the I stuff. I don't that either. He does. Right. Just but, let alone the comments that he answers on Facebook. It's like almost every other post that I see in the Mandalorian, in any of the Mandalorian character, face character groups, he's in all of them. I think he's the ad man or mod of all of them, and he's answering questions. Jeez, do you yeah, sleep? This, yeah, right, exactly. 
and and but it's in you know so I'm like I have JJ industry you know cylinders and stuff for my for my bandolier on my din and they're beautiful like mm-hmm. I, you know and I and I know that there are people who are making 3D printed versions of them and they look they look good too but it's and I'm happy to promote and happy to support a lot of these makers it just like I I remember having this this feeling of making this Waltz Trooper Factory kit was the first Mandalorian kit that he had out in the wild. And he's like, here, I want you to, you know, go and do your thing and and have fun with it. And then people were kind of building, you know, one of the guys built the the whistling birds that actually worked. And like all these guys were kind of like piggybacking off of Darren Patton's amazing modeler. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of piggybacking off of, you know, great apes became the the baseline file that became the file that was universally adopted by the groups and it made me almost feel insecure about being like well my gauntlet is slush casted and it's not gonna look you know i'm like looking at it compared to all these people who are resin printing them and i'm like that's like razor sharp like i got all kinds of you know i got some pocking in here and i was filling that in when i could but it just kind of made made me start to feel like insecure that like my armor wasn't up to snuff of the community, you know. And then it turned into like, you know, okay, everyone, you know, you show up to the convention, great ape, great ape, yeah, you got great, ape, yeah, great ape, okay, you know. And it kind of just like we were like, did did we lose a little bit of that individuality of us all on this like costuming journey together? And I've talked to a lot of people about it who have all kinds of opinions on it because like the truth is is that you are just you are appreciating someone else's talent in the, the 10,000 hours, like you said, putting into becoming a Sean Fields or a Darren Pattenden or, or these incredible people that I think make costuming more accessible by just giving so much of this stuff away or ne- next to nothing in terms of what you actually get out of it. Um, yeah. So Especially I'm, I'm just 3D kind of, files, like 3D files. People don't even really realize like, a lot of these 3D modelers, they're really underselling themselves. Because if you talk to anybody that's in the industry, and that's why most of these prop houses have like a team, a person or a team of modelers that works for them. Because they have to outsource this stuff and tell you what it was for. It's like, okay, I charge this by the hour. You know, they're, they're paying these 3D modelers at these prop houses very well because their work is worth it. Um, and I understand we're in a hobby space, but you know, I, I still see people complain about oh, that great ape helmet's like 60 bucks. Like, yeah, it's worth every penny, you know? Um, right. and it's $60, man. Like, I, I don't know. You're going to spend more money in paint getting the best star luck. So what difference does it make? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just, I think it's more of just like a, you know, a kind of a state of the industry of really stepping back and realizing how good we have it right now, because, you know, if if you hear to some of the, the stories of, you know, the older Mandalorian clubs and, and, you know, the, the, the clone armor, you know, it was like, I mean, yeah, John Ficker said it. He's like, you literally like a psychopath sent a, an envelope full of money to a guy that was referred to by another guy don't worry, he's legit. He'll send it. And then all of a sudden, like three months later, you get a, a brown box. box showed up. You're <laughs> like, what is the oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I gave this unmarked recipient 
$400 in cash, you know? Like, so it's like answering an ad in a newspaper or something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm one stormtrooper armor, please. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a really cool, it's a really cool process of, of really seeing this, you know, kind of develop, you know, Daryl, what is, what is next for you? Like, what do you, what do you see as being a part of, of this space and social media has connected us all in ways that mm-hmm. I don't think that we ever could have imagined the amount of people that I've talked to like yourself and people who've actually worked on the show. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's such a cool time to be a part of these groups. If you're a maker, what, what do you see as next for you, man? Um, really, I'm really excited to get out to conventions this year. Um, I will hope for, well, everything that I plan on doing is towards the end of the year, which is better for me. At least that gives me wiggle room with my builds. Um, my Halo Spartan is going to be my top priority. And then backing that up is the uh, Remnant Trooper, Stormtrooper, um, the Brian Matias concept. Uh, really digging a lot of the conceptual stuff that I've been seeing out there. Um, I got a couple irons in the fire for some other Star Wars costumes, but they're all concept stuff, not, nothing that's canon or legends or anything like that. But I think it looks pretty cool. And I think if I showed up at any convention, it'd people go, what in the world is going on with that? Um, so other than that, um, get my focus back on YouTube, start making more tutorials, answering the questions in a video format that I receive via text, um, just to kind of, you know, add some more layers onto it for people to be able to see. Um, man, yeah, we just, I don't know. I'm just, paint some more stuff, have some more fun, upgrade things and keep sharing my experience with everybody and learning and meeting new people that I hopefully will bump into one day at a convention somewhere. Yeah. I love that. Um, I want to ask you as a side note before we kind of start, cause I want to, I want to of course find out what conventions you're going to, cause I think that'll be awesome. Um, like let's talk about YouTube for a second, just because I know that you have a channel it's mm-hmm. great. You've got a lot of really good information on there. Um, my my buddy runs a YouTube channel as well. And, you know, work is work, right? I mean, you going Facebook, I think Hunter talked about this. Hunter Smoke talked about this the other day where he's like, there's something really nice about just doing Instagram live because it's like you're watching and I'm telling you what I'm doing as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And then I don't have to edit anything. And I'm like, yeah, that man, putting together videos is part of work. It's working, you know? Oh yeah. Again, my praise for you because you're choosing to spend time putting information out there that we as viewers get for free. We just get, we get your knowledge for free. Um, what is it like managing a YouTube channel? Like what goes, what is the part of managing a YouTube channel that I think most people don't know about? Managing it, man, honestly, it's sometimes, I forget that like the comment section exists <laughs> and I'll get like notifications and I'll be like, wait, what a, a week ago. And I'll go look at a comment and then I feel bad because like I took a week to respond to this person because once again, it's just like, I did it. And then my brain's like, go do this thing. And then I'm rushing off and go do something else. Cause the video's uploaded. It's doing well. Usually get on the socials, post it, let, you know, that kind of take flight um in its own way um so really it's just i don't i don't know me, to me it's like the the comments 
Um, but then just overall, I think it's, it's like your self-awareness is kind of like the hard part with all of that stuff, right? Like the thumbnail, the title, like all like algorithmic crap that you have to do to, you know, reach audiences that would normally find you is kind of the, the, the pain in the butt, uh, with YouTube really is just that stuff. Cause like, I'm always thinking like, I have this video and I'm like, this is a great video. And then I have a buddy that I always bounce my thumbnail ideas off of. I'll, I'll send him a rough cut of the video and he'll be like, all right, tell me what you think in, about these like three thumbnails. And he's like, I like this one. I don't like this one. Uh, this one, if you took the font from the third one and put it here, it would be great. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I mean, it, it can it can become a lot. It's just like, you know, it, it's another aspect of making, different type of making. Um, yeah, so it's like, I got to figure all this stuff out too. And it's like, hey, if I was 10 years younger, I'd have a million subscribers by now because i'll be doing all the cool trendy stuff i don't care about all that so no man we're past that yeah (laughs) we're the old heads now yep that's that's awesome well well daryl i mean hit us up like what what are your conventions you know what you're you're another midwestern guy and so you know ohio is kind of in a sneaky spot to be connected to some bigger shows like C2E2, you're close to, you're within distance to, you know, IndyCon, Motor City Comic Con, you know, what are the conventions that you want to try to, you know, kind of be present at this year? Uh, I'm going to be at Dragon Con in Atlanta and New York City Comic Con. Um, I might try to do my local one, Cincinnati Comic Expo. Um, There's a lot near me. C2E2 is like, five hours away in Chicago. Lexington has a huge one. I think it used to be called like Galaxy Con. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot over on this spectrum of the U.S., uh, but those two are my my big two that I want to go to, um, mainly because there is a like a big Halo and Star Wars cosplay community at Dragon Con, um, and I'll have one of each, so it'll be great. Like one day, hey, the other day, hey. Um, and then New York, because it's just New York, man. I mean, you know. Are you going to drive out there? there? How are you going to get to New York with those costumes? Uh, I have to drive, man. I'm not trusting them at the airport with that. That's like the reason why I, I like, don't know how I'm going to end up doing like anything on the West Coast, really. I mean, I might mail something to somebody and see how it plays out. Like, I'm going to send you this gauntlet, see if it makes it there in one piece. <laughs> one piece at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have 17 other boxes. Yeah. Exactly. Don't open them. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, and it's all uh, stamps. It's all stamps. It doesn't yeah. weigh anything. Just ship it. Um, well, that's cool. Well, Daryl, this has been awesome, man. I, I love, I love always learning and just kind of hearing the background of people that I respect the work of. Um, it's, it's been, it's been a weird couple years just because we've never been more passionate about star Wars, especially with the content that we've been getting. And oh yeah, most of us haven't really been able to hang out. I feel like at this point, if this was a normal year, normal past two years, we would have run into a ton of each other at different conventions, but you know, just given the past, the events of the past two years is like, you know, celebration was canceled, you know, motor mm-hmm. city comic con happened this year, but 
I wasn't able to make it because I was sick. You know, like it's just it's a it's just been crazy. So I I'm looking forward to this year, and I'm gonna try to make it to C2E2 this year personally. Um, so we're gonna have to link up. Absolutely, yeah. stoked to see. Yeah, and I got no, no, I'm not. We're not gonna share it with anybody because I got a couple teasers of what you're working on, and I am sure as hell that I need to come check this out because that's how good it's gonna be. Oh yeah, it's gonna be insane. But Daryl, before we go, my friend, yes. we absolutely have to do a lightning round. Let's go. All right, Daryl, you get to take home any costume from the entire saga of Star Wars. Entire saga. Man, I'm probably going for Rogue One Vader. Just because every time that lightsaber comes on in that dark hallway, I choke up, dude. I mean, like, I get tears in my I'm like, oh, my God. I remember seeing that in theaters, and I, I'm getting goosebumps like, talking about that. I freaked. It would just be Rogue One Vader, just so I could stay in the dark rooms and turn the lightsaber on over and over again. Nobody get it, but I get it, and it would be fun. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great one, and I thought that was... I loved it specifically because that had the red eyes, just like we saw them in a new hope. Yeah. And, you know, like they, they hit those. And, and I know there are some Vader. Some purists, cues. Yeah. 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 Stuff. They, they, they hit it. They nailed it. So that's, that's a great, that's a, I like that one. I don't think anyone said that yet. So that's good. Uh, as a crafter, as a person who's into details, if you could examine any star Wars costume, prop, whatever from the Lucasfilm archives, what would it be? Man, I'd probably have to go take a look at some Wookiees. Yeah. I'd want to see some Wookiee costumes just because, I don't know, I love those tall bastards to death. <laughs> probably because I'm 6'7", so I like identify with the Wookiees, but I, I definitely want to go check out a Wookiee costume, I think. That's a good That's a good one, too, I think. I, I mean, I just listening to Mike Quinones' episode about his his Chewbacca build, and I can a hundred percent say, as someone who has trooped with the Chewbacca, once Chewbacca comes out, nobody else matters. Yeah, you might as well go across the street and have a beer. Not yep. like no one cares. All about the kids you are running up to him. Show me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great answer. Uh, which droid from Star Wars, Daryl, is your favorite? <laughs> I don't know. I really like BB-8 just because he's cute. That's a good answer. BB-8 is a solid companion. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not like a. I, I don't. I'm, I'm more like Din and like the no droids kind of thing. The two, they're not like my thing in Star Wars. But I think BB-8 is really just like this adorable little ball, and he's just like, oh, look at you. You're, you're, you can come with me. Come on, buddy. You roll with me. <laughs> yeah. I like BB-8 a lot. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rest who has better costumes? Than... Yeah, that's <laughs> who who has better costumes in Star Wars? Good guys or bad guys? Old school Star Wars, I'd say the bad uh, the good guys, just because I like the de- the dirty, grimy. Well, I don't know. Yeah, the good guys. And uh, yeah, across Star Wars probably would be the good guys. If you can consider Mando a good guy, because he's dirty as hell, but 
Yeah, the good guys. I like the good guys just because I like the grime and the grit and the and the and the lived in costumes. They all look like they're from whatever planet that they show them on. Always. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good answer. I think I think some people would always say they love the uniformity of the bad guys and just oh yeah, you know, and of course, but then yeah, I I think people often forget at how beat up the good guys everything was. The X Wings, the the you know, the the pilot suits, like everything. I mean, you really like looked at I think Rogue One again coming back to that movie is like they were fighting a war, man. Like they looked like it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when they made those costumes, they just took them all to like tire discounter and was like, we're on the floor. Perfect. Let's go. Yeah. Change a couple <laughs> tires in these, you know, just put yeah. them on boys. Uh, okay. Yep. 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 So are, are you the, the other question that seems to get a lot of different answers on it. Daryl, are you a lightsaber or a blaster kind of guy? I'm a gunslinger all day long, baby. All day long. All right. Which blaster though? Let's ask this. Uh, I like Dan's blaster. I just, something about that. Just, it just talks to me. Like the DL 44 is cool. Um, but I just really like Dan's blaster. It just really has that Western, just quick draw kind of, it fits that aesthetic. You know, there's nothing chunky on it. Smooth, streamlined, great grips. You know, that moon trigger is just ugh, sexy. Yeah, I'd take that all day long. All Dance right, IB-94, that's your pick. IB, that's right. I like it, I like it. I know we talked a lot about the Mando-verse. What, and I think you already said it, but surprise me just in case. What is your favorite character design from the Mandalorian and on? I mean, Dana Course. Um... You know, for Mando, I really, really love Frog Lady. That's a good answer. Frog Lady, that costume was just kind of mind-blowing to watch it move around on the screen. (laughs) Yeah. Frog Lady was great. Um, I really like a lot of the just the the creature costumes. I probably would never do one myself, but I really enjoy the look of all of the creature costumes. That's a good answer. I like that. I wasn't expecting that. I like that though. That's that's great. I I agree. They just they're well done. They yeah, yeah. you know, especially now. I mean, even back in like Akbar and everybody looked great, but like something about them now is just like whoa. And to know that you know that's practical makes it even better for me. It's just you know somebody made that. You know, yeah. Put a smile agreed. on my face. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Daryl, you're stuck on one planet for the rest of your days. Which planet do you pick? Kashik. Oh, yeah, with the great tree. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that, yeah, that's a good, I feel like that's good. That's a good ecosystem to be a part of. I think so, too. Plus, not a lot of, you know, people go there looking for trouble either. Yeah, because if, <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know that if you showed up looking for trouble, there's a, there's literally a population of Wookiees that uh, wouldn't hesitate to rip both your arms off. Oh, yeah. It's just like, uh, I'm going to skip over this planet. That's where the Sasquatch monster thing is. Like that. We're going to keep going. Yeah, we'll just skip over that one. You know, uh, well, but the question I've got to ask next, of course, is that you, you got stranded on Kashyyyk. What was the ship that you took to get there? Slave one. And I... I, I 
that seismic charge is an mf -er. I just want to just fly off and just let one of those things go. Just to hear like, boom. That thing is just disgusting. I loved that in the latest trailer before the, the show came out, they used the seismic charge as like the classic inception boom, you know, mm. instead of the wah, you know, they use that. I was like, man, they know what they're doing. They know their fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally plan on building one of those seismic charges too, just to hang on a wall somewhere. Throw some, that throw thing. some LEDs in it, make it light up mm. your room. Oh yeah. Something like that. This, I'm totally, it's on my to-do list, like my cemented to-do list. It's going to happen. I love that. Let me know when you do, because I'm probably going to order one myself. <laughs> Daryl, this has <laughs> been awesome. Thank you again for sitting down and talking with me. It's It's been a real pleasure over the past couple of years to get to know you and, and appreciate your work. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. where, where can people find you? What's the best way to, to and, you, and you respond to people, which is, man, that's so great because I feel like there's some other people, you know, it's like you interact with some of these like big studios. Yeah. And they don't, I mean, they don't want to tell, you know, they don't want to tell you anything. They don't really want to interact. They have a social media person that's just paid to put content up. You know, you don't interact with them. And I feel like the hobbyists are the people that you're learning the most from right now. And, and you're, you're one of those people who is putting out great information for other people to learn and try and get on your level. Where can people find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? All first, 3D everywhere. You can come to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I try to answer my DMs as much as possible um, and interact with my followers and the people that I follow. I just, you know, I try to share as much as I can of my work and others' work that I've come across now that, you know, the timeline is not sequential and it's all weird. Um, but yeah, any any place off Earth 3D, um, YouTube, everywhere. There we go. There we go. Well, you know where to find him now. Give him a follow. Check him out. He is a treasure trove of knowledge, especially when it comes to paint, understanding chemicals, how to basically just make your freaking paints better. I, that's yes. the one thing that I always learn from you is what the heck does all this stuff mean? There's a good chance if I ask. The off earth, any channel you are going to answer with the precise knowledge that I need to. So, Daryl, thank you again for sitting down with us on Armor Party. May the force be with you, my friend. And we look forward to seeing you at Dragon Con, C2E2, and a couple of regional shows around Cincinnati. So, if you are in the Midwest, you're going to see Daryl this convention season. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, man. No problem. Did you get all that? Daryl is a real one for sharing literally everything he discovers in his journey of prop making. We are certainly grateful for the shared knowledge. I'm already looking forward to botching my next paint job and bugging him for the next eh, probably five to 20 hours. Armor Party is a part of the Thank the Maker Network. If you're looking for other podcasts that's more generalized with a great commentary from some pretty famous punk rockers, head over to Thank the Maker Pod on Instagram. Our friends Sarah and Steven of Princess and Scoundrel kicked off their podcast last week, and it's a great dive into the Galactic Star Cruiser. So if you've got questions or concerns, you'll probably have them either addressed or answered. Find them at Princess and Scoundrel to get your fix. Our themes and production is done by my childhood friend, Alton James, who should be your first stop when you're doing audio production or music composition for your Star Wars fan film, or really just any project you're working on. 
when you need audio to make it pro. Alton is beyond talented, and we could not do the show without him. Find him at Alton underscore James on Instagram as well. I am your host, Mike Forrester, signing off and telling you we will see you in two weeks. Use that motivation you just got from Daryl's conversation to get that paint flying. And remember, being an adult is boring, but building Star Wars armor is anything but. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> <laughs>